Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. All right, welcome to our podcast. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Staub, two attorneys here with Pasha Law, practicing in California, Texas, New York, and Illinois. And this is where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist to that news. And today we're talking about, oh, so topical, right? I mean, it's, I, I don't know. You know, we try to stay too as topical. topical as we can, but this is almost too much. And, you know, I'm, I bet you when this is coming out, it's not even close to being over, which is, and I'm trying to figure out a name for it, but uh, basically what's going on with sexual harassment and the sexual assault allegations that are going on in a high profile sense. But we're going to take a look at it more on a practical perspective and how it actually still applies. It's not like uh, in the sense the law hasn't changed here. The law may be changing, but this stuff has been going on for a while. So we can talk about those that are business owners, how you can protect your business and protect your employees from this kind of environment that's, I think, very important right now. Yeah, I think the caveat should be if you're a business owner that's uh, participating in the sexual misconduct, then this probably isn't the episode for... I mean, we the advice for that's pretty <laughs> simple, but we're going <laughs> to... Yeah. Uh, that's a, yeah, that's a good, very, very good caveat. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there's you know, just because you've made mistakes in the past doesn't mean that you can't change the culture and environment you have in the future as well. So we're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to talk about just kind of the general nature of the law and where, where it's changing and also talk about, you know, some of the more salacious topics that are going on in the sure. news as well. So I think what's helpful to start out is just to kind of lay out or define what exactly sexual harassment is. Because, oh, I was going to say, what do we call? I, I still want to come up with sexual misconduct. Not, no, I'm talking about this whole like, what are people calling this? I don't know. I don't want to call it a movement because oh. that doesn't make sense. They call it a, a watershed moment, right? But yeah. I don't want to, is it a sexual harassment watershed moment or something like that? I don't, I'm not sure. Oh, we have but, the whole episode yeah. to figure this out so we can. We'll, okay, I'll come up with something. Think about it. <laughs> so the reason I think it's helpful to define it is, and we're kind of seeing this now with some of the, obviously it's, there's some allegations that are pretty severe and some that are not as severe, but it, the, the importance is that it's a very broad definition of what can be considered sexual harassment. So it's, Generally speaking, unwanted sexual advances or visual, verbal, or physical conduct of a sexual nature, and that's both same sex and different sex that we're dealing with here. So generally speaking, what would be behavior that would fall under this? You can kind of put it in a category. So we'd have visual conduct. Uh, well, let me start, I'll start with the more obvious. So I'll start with the most severe and kind of work our way down. So the ones that it's a little bit more gray area making or threatening retaliatory action after receiving negative response uh, to a sexual advance, which we'll get into. The retaliation aspect of it is is pretty key. Offering employment benefits in exchange for sexual favors, that one's obvious. Fiscal conduct, uh, touching, assault, impeding, blocking movements, another obvious one. Verbal conduct, which I think a lot of people would you know think about that when they hear, hear these stories, uh, derogatory comments, jokes, basically anything that Michael Scott's ever said uh, on The Office uh, for the most part, comments about someone else uh, that's sexually degrading, things of that nature. 
and then visual contact too. And so this this can kind of be a more a trickier one, but uh, leering or making sexual gestures, displaying sexually suggestive objects or pictures, cartoons, posters, etc. So again, a lot of well. And we're, we're kind of intent, or I'm kind of intent, intentionally keeping this a little bit light humored on on the office and Michael Scott references, just because it's a very serious subject, and we'll get into why. But you know, it's there's a reason that people like the show, like The Office, because it's just so the the it's so blatantly wrong and obvious that it's wrong that that's how people see the humor in it. So I don't want this to come off like it's, you know, we're laughing at it, but that's just making that point. You bring up a good point because when, when you watch The Office, it, it, it does it does poke fun of you know, the aspect of, you know, all these rules that lawyers create of why you do and don't do something. And, you know, everyone's kind of too strict on these things. But they, 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 try, to, they try to toe that line, the difference between, you know, frankly, what's funny and not funny, right? And, yeah. and, and, and it kind of, it's actually a good demonstration that, you know, if you take another set of people and watch The Office, they're not going to see the same humor. And that's kind of the point, is that when it comes to unwelcomeness of these sexual harassment acts, you know, you, went, you just went through them, it is very fact-specific, and it's in the eyes of the beholder in the sense that unwelcomeness, right? What makes it unwelcome? That's the actual one of the part of the legal standard is. And, and if I asked you, you know, how do you show that the person did not welcome this, right, was unwelcoming to this? It's not an easy thing to show either way to prove that it was unwelcome or to prove that it was welcome. And that's part of the issue of why people, from a perspective of those that actually perpetuate this kind of behavior, they, they claim that they don't have an, an understanding that, well, I thought, you know, there was nothing wrong with it or I thought right. it was funny. But the problem is it's just so ambiguous. And that's why we lawyers were like, look, just, just to be safe, create strict guidelines. It's not to say no fun in the, in the workplace, but there are some clear things that you can ste- steer away from. And it's better just to, frankly, it's just better not to say anything. Right? Yeah, just don't, don't talk. <laughs> and that's a lot of the, ex- the justifications or excuses that we've seen is just, oh, I didn't realize it was coming off that way, which... You know, but w- there are situations like the Al Franken situation where we just have vi- photo evidence of something that's clearly unwelcome. Uh, I don't, I mean, yeah, I don't know how he even get out. Has he even, has he said a response that I don't know how he even gets out of that situation, at least by the time we're recording? Has he, I don't yeah, know if he said a response. Uh, as of that. right now, I mean, he, he's apologized. Uh, it's hard to understand exactly what he's acknowledging and, and apologizing for. I don't think he's been, been specific. But he's definitely apologized for those. And, and if you guys know what we're referencing, there's, there's two photos of him basically making inappropriate gestures. And frankly, in any workplace, I mean, some of the commentary I've heard is that, you know, it's in, in a he, he was a comedian at the time. And there's now there's been allegations where, you know, he wasn't a comedian, too. So I'm not sure if that necessarily applies. But and, and speaking of like workplaces, there is standards involved, right? Like a good example is I was looking into this just because I, w- I was thinking about it, the Howard Stern Show. And so if anyone listens to the Howard Stern radio show, most people realize, okay, he's on serious radio where the same kind of SEC regulations don't apply when it comes to using profanity, talking about certain subjects. And if you've listened to the show, it can get pretty raunchy. And both within that, within that radio, in the sense that we're talking about everything from nudity to just 
gross stuff, right? So things that would, there was no doubt would cross, you know, lines 10 feet over in any workplace. But of course, those are all employees of Sirius Radio, of the Howard Stern Show, yet how do they get away with it, right? It's, so I was looking into it, but apparently, so when it's in the studio, they actually lock the doors of the studio to the extent that, you know, the behavior within that studio does not go beyond that studio. And so, like, for a, a good example was is they got in trouble because, you know, someone, you know, was streaking inside the studio and they streaked outside to the offices of Sirius Radio. And that was inappropriate. It's like, okay, this is the Howard Stern Show. That's part of the entertainment, and that's a separate category. But once you leave, you're exposing, you know, this environment to other people that's not part of the workplace, and it's unwelcome. That's the difference, right? And it kind of gives you a little bit better idea of this unwelcomeness standard. You know, I think that all came about what sparked your interest in that was that that waiver that was posted in regards to the barstool sports and just basically agreeing that, look, I, some it's going to be offensive here and I'm acknowledging it and I'm signing away my opportunity to do anything about it, et cetera. So well, I don't, I don't know your reference. What's barstool sports? The, uh, it's, it's a website about sports that has some aggressive takes at time. One of the people there posted some waiver that they wanted her to sign, basically oh, yeah. saying, you know, we work in a creative work environment. There's offensive speech. I'm going to be exposed to things yeah. uh, that are explicit, you know, all this stuff. So I think that's kind of what's part. Anyways, that also you know goes into like one of the big industries that are where sexual harassment is, is very prevalent is actually in the service industry. This reference, by the way, I, Logan gave, gave it to us, and apparently it's from Cosmopolitan Magazine, so I don't know where they got it from, but that's our source. Okay. But apparently that, that industry, the service retail industry, and a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the harassers are not necessarily the employees, but also from the, the customers themselves. You know, and, and I can imagine like whether it's restaurants and you're a waiter or waitress and you know, these, these kinds of uh, establishments. Yeah. So... As a business owner, what's the where does it all start in dealing with this? To me, it's education, and I'm you know in some situations there's there's training there's mandatory training, but education is critical in all this because I mean it's it's the starting point to everything. And when I say education, it's not only having a a policy a sexual harassment policy in place, but we've as we've said many times before, having the policy in place, implementing it following it and then acting appropriately after the after the fact. So if there's a situation where an employee comes to you as the, you know, the the owner of this company and says, you know, alleges something against another employee did or even a supervisor, have to take it seriously, obviously. Um, and you have to follow the policy of your place and all the things that went through the training basically need to be followed exactly how it was planned from the beginning. And I think that's why I said education is really the starting point for all this to me. I agree. It's not, I think some people say that, hey, look, everyone should know what the rules are and just act appropriately. But frankly, that's just not the case. You know, people don't know what the rules are. People don't know what the lines are. People feel that the way that you, you may behave at home is the same way that you behave at the workplace. And the reality is when you have a workplace where multiple people from different different cultures, different backgrounds come together, the standards of what's welcome and not welcome is different. And that's kind of the point. And so the only way to really shed those lines is through education 
And I think you, you, what you mentioned is education. And I think the second thing, which I, again, I think this is kind of the same thing, is just the culture you're creating in the workforce, in the, in, in the workplace. And we've talked about corporate culture and the importance of that, not only from a legal risk management perspective, but from a business success perspective as well. But if you have a culture where that kind of behavior is tolerated, then it's going to be promoted and you're bound to happen. Because I'll tell you this, you know, without disclosing any details, uh, there are, we have clients that we know they're just going to, those problems are going to occur just because of the type of culture they, they flourish within their workplace. And then there's another client that that's the last thing we would expect from that particular client. And, you know, one of the things that's common, it seems like, which is kind of unfortunate with uh, this watershed moment of sexual harassment allegations. <laughs> I'm getting to a, a, a term here soon, which is a lot of the people that have alleged to have committed these crimes or have admitted to it or actually have been found to have been guilty of them, whatever the case may be, there was always rumors, right? There's always like, yeah, I've heard this. This is the type of person, whether it's Roy Moore that was supposed to be looked after. I, I guess I just read that, you know, he was supposed to, uh, police officers were supposed to keep him away from the high school cheerleaders or something, whether that's rumor or not, I don't know. But the point is there, there was, there was, there was rumor about that. And, and it's kind of the point, same point of culture. It's like, you know that certain companies are going to be susceptible to that just because of how they behave in certain situations. And it's the, what you observe and it's the, what you don't observe that you don't know, of course. And that's where really you get into problems. Yeah. I mean, that was the, that's the, the classic Harvey Weinstein example is, well, yeah, I mean, everybody knew this. There's even jokes about it and, and these monologues for these award shows where he was there, just that's a very true, known yeah. thing, but no one took, I mean, no one did anything that serious about it because nothing happened until recently. The The point you made is critical and <laughs> how you said without disclosing anything, how it works, it's exactly what you said. It's from, we know it because it starts, it's from the top down. So it starts at the top of the company and they set the standard. And again, supervisors have a greater, uh, especially in California, have, are held to a pretty high standard with this. And if they're the ones that are going to be causing the problems and they set the example, well, there's a pretty good chance that other employees are going to do similar things. But if the top sets the standards of, look, this is how it's supposed to be. This is not acceptable. If someone says something, this isn't acceptable. It's well known Then you're going to have a lot better chance of not running to these issues moving forward. Now you can't prevent against a, a rogue employee just saying something or doing something inappropriately. I mean, that's, you know, it's even if you do your best, it, you can't prevent that from happening 100% of the time. But, you know, the silver lining is that even if you have a rogue employee that uh, does something like that, it doesn't automatically mean that you as an employer are automatically responsible. Because here, I mean, obviously, everyone wants to punish those that are guilty. They don't want to punish the innocent, so to speak. And so under what circumstances is the employer liable for something that an employee does. Now, obviously, if you're the CEO of the company or a, a small company and you're the sole owner, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a company that has multiple layers, uh, whether it's different departments with supervisory heads or what have you. When does an employer come into uh, liability? Now, it's different per jurisdiction. And so the easiest way to look at it is to look at California because it's the strictest policy within the country. And I really believe that everyone should basically act as if they're in California when it comes to this issue. 
And so here's the rule, is that if the harassment is between two employees that are uh, co-workers, meaning neither one has a supervisory role over the other, then the employer liability is not automatic. There has to be some kind of knowledge that this was going on or something that would indicate that this was going on or that one of the parties complained and someone didn't do, the employer didn't do, do anything about it or when they complained they had some whether it's true or not they retaliated against them we can talk about retaliation in a second so that's between two coworkers but if one of the parties the harasser the alleged harasser is a supervisor and there's a definition of a supervisor and uh, I'm I'm not going to name it off the top of my head I don't know the exact definition but it's something to the effect of if you if you control the hiring firing promotion demotion and I think if it even says if you indirectly have that power, like in the other words, you have the power to recommend these kinds of uh, actions to occur, then then you're a supervisor. And if the supervisor is the one that's the harasser, the employer is automatically, strictly liable, responsible for that. And why the the idea is that if you're if you're going to have someone in charge of other people, then you you better make sure that those people are the faces of the company and they represent the company in the best possible manner. And if they mess up, you mess up. And it's something called vicarious liability. And it's a strict liability standard, meaning even if you didn't know about it, you're still responsible. Yeah, exactly right. Like you said, California, if it's that supervisor, which just to follow up with that, uh, anyone with the authority to hire, fire, assign, transfer, discipline, or reward other employees. So pretty broad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. That's it's strict liability. And I, was, I was pretty close, actually. You know, outside of California, kind of the federal standard, it's still it's vicarious liability, but there's a def- an affirmative defense uh, based on the reasonableness of the employer and the employee's conduct. So. Cal, I think like you said, it's good advice is just treat it, even if you're not in California, treat it like it's California. Um, always to treat, just treat it as the, the highest standard and you're going to be better off than had you not done that. Yeah, and, and there, are, there are defenses. And um, I don't know what it is just because of the nature of what's going on right now. I, I feel like it's, it's just not appropriate to focus on the defenses. Um, I just want to touch on them a little bit, but... Like, for example, when it comes to coworkers, a lot of handbooks, and of course we present this too, is that you, you have an open-door policy. And if the one that's being harassed doesn't do anything about it and doesn't tell anyone and, and kind of just keeps it quiet, it's hard to really put any liability on the employer in that case. And so if, especially if you have an, a policy that, allows them to complain, whether you have a hotline, whether you have an HR representative that is available, this so-called open-door policy, and where companies get into trouble is where they may say they have an open-door policy, but if it's the supervisor that's, you know, actually doing the harm or someone that is, you know, if, if it's the person you would report to, somehow you would feel embarrassed because they're good friends with the person that is harassing you, these kinds of things. That, that's where it, it, it can pose a problem. But the reason I kind of want to mention this, again, I didn't want to get into the defenses a little too much, is that is, it is a very important as part of the prevention, part of the creating the culture, part of the education, is to have those channels for those victims to be able to go to. And think about if they can't go to someone in the company, 
is there someone, do you want them going to someone in the company or basically to their own attorney? I mean, frankly, you can even have, a lot of times uh, there's ways, uh, if it's a small company, you can even give the number of your own corporate counsel as someone to report this to as well. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of different options if, you know, if you don't have an HR department, for example, or, or are afraid to uh, create a hotline. I mean, I, I think there's actually even services that do this. I'm, I, I can't vouch for their reliability and, you know, if, if it's recommended or not, but there, there's definitely other options out there. Yeah, so just real quick, I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I said it starts with education. Part of that's training. So training can be mandatory. Like in Cal, for example, California employers with at least 50 employees or independent contractors yeah. must provide two hours of sexual harassment prevention training to all supervisors once every two years. Now I say that, but yeah. to me, I think it's beneficial to have the training for all employees regardless of size of you know how many employees you have because again if the more prevention you can put in place the the better chances that there's not going to be a problem down the road again this is it's even more critical if anyone in a supervisory role uh but you know it's it's always good to just do that and it's a very minimal amount of of training that needs to be done even even for the even for the mandatory training so it's a pretty low a small burden to to take on from the employer standpoint, but it's going to be well worth it down the road. I mean, I can't help the, but not think about the <laughs> office episodes re- related to this. Yeah, uh, and again, it, it's just good representations of what not to do. I mean, they just show a video. There's actually st- pretty—I don't want to say strict requirements. There are requirements that of how the training should be done and who it's being done yeah, by. There are. Yeah, there And by the way, there—I I just read an article in preparation of this of of someone arguing that tr- how why training doesn't work, and I think. Ineffective training, it's true, it doesn't work. And so you mentioned all employees, like the purpose of training is not just to go through it. Again, it's for, for most people, it's gonna be a reminder, but remember not everyone is in the same background if, <laughs> as you. Like for those of you listening, it's like, I would never do that. And if I saw something like that happening, then you know I would say something, et cetera, and I wouldn't put up with that. Kudos to you. I think you know, a lot of us are in, that, are, are in that position, but obviously this stuff goes on. And so if you're an employer, even if you think that that's not something that you would tolerate, keep in mind that this is unfortunately not an uncommon place. In fact, again, citing from the same uh, Cosmopolitan (laughs) study, again, in a survey that they've done, 71%, 71% of women said they did not report sexual harassment in the workplace. And 29% did of course and I, I don't know if that does that add to yep it does add to 100 percent for them that checks out and, at least but uh 15 percent felt the ones that actually did report 15 percent felt that the report was handed handled uh, fairly okay and so i think that's a very important statistic to understand that even if you're in a camp that it is because I, i'll tell you this besides if if i wasn't in the profession i was in and with my employer i don't think i would ever I feel like this doesn't exist, right? I don't see it myself. I've never experienced it. And so even with immediate family members or immediate friends or family, and so I'm, I'm kind of away from it despite you know, my connection with it in my profession. So, so that means that this education ha- has to go towards the people that it is gonna be effective for. And so you do have to take it seriously yourself even the, if you think this is common sense, right? And I, I, I don't know. Uh, Matt, if, if you feel the same way, because I feel like sometimes I, I'm in a boat where, you know, I'm, I've, I've been lucky in that respect, but 
I, I feel distant from it because I, you know, because of that lack of exposure, which I think is a good thing, obviously. No, that's, that's obviously good. And the, t- the difficult part is it's so working both sides of the equation here. So it's, that's the reason that it ma- it's important is you could have a example of, you know, there's a, an employee on the low end of the totem pole. They see this stuff happening or it's even towards them. Well, they don't want to tell their supervisor or even a higher up person in the company because it might adversely affect the way they're treated. And that's obviously illegal. That's retaliatory and that's not allowed, but um, that's a reason that we, it's quid pro quo is one of the forms of the sexual harassment. But on the other side of the equation, we have maybe it's a supervisor who's, you know, basically doing this and it's, this is also quid pro quo, but you know, basically they're getting away with it because they know they hold that power, that leverage over these employees. And they're not going to say anything because if they do, then I'm going to treat them differently as a supervisor. And so that's why it's so difficult, you know, for really everyone involved, everyone who's not the person who's actually uh, participating in the, the sexual misconduct, because it's, you know, it's a fine line a lot of times. And people feel like they have to, especially employees feel like they have to make these judgment calls. But again, retaliation, if you report it and then you're retaliated against adversely, then it's actually way worse for the employer. So I mean, hopefully that would cause employees to speak up a little bit more, but I, I mean, I understand it. It's, it's just hard to, it's hard to, to speak up sometimes in those situations. Very true. And, and retaliation claims should never happen. In other words, if, if you're an employer, if an incident like this occurs, talk to your lawyer. You know what I mean? If, if any employer that has had legal advice, they would never even accidentally retaliate because you kind of mentioned different ways that retaliation can occur. But like even little things like, you know, cutting their hours or changing their job duties could, could be considered retaliation, right? Or not giving them a promotion or not giving them a raise or not giving them a bonus. And so, you know, again, it's a common common thing we say, but talking to your lawyer, seeking legal advice very early. If you don't have a policy, get a policy. If you have never done training, get training done. If you suspect something's going on, talk to your attorney, figure out how you can deal with it, even if it's just a suspicions for now. If it's an actual complaint, you know, if, you, if you've never dealt with it before and never been walked through and how to deal with it, get help with that. It's just it's not something not only is it a, a serious issue because of there's a victim involved but also from a liability perspective it is a very costly uh, legal issue and in fact this kind of is a good segue in the sense that just the allegation itself the legal cost to defend unless you have EPLI insurance which is an insurance that most employers don't have because it can be costly at least small businesses or small employers don't typically have EPLI is, is, would typically cover something like this, but sometimes it doesn't. And then the allegations themselves, just the reputation alone can be hurtful. And we've seen that even if they're not true for that matter, right? And it kind of goes to what I wanted to make sure we talked about today, which was because of this uh, watershed moment of sexual harassment uh, in high-profile cases, the, the, there's a few states, including California, New York, New Jersey, and probably some others as well that I'm not aware of, which want to outlaw confidentiality clauses with settlement agreements as it ties to sexual harassment or sexual assault cases. And it's a kind of a, I would say, an interesting 
uh, uh, prospect of litigation. The, the, the understanding is that one of the reasons why some of these men have been able to do these things repeatedly is because they've settled past lawsuits. And so future victims had no idea this was an issue. In fact, I just read, and I can't remember who they were alleging against, but one of the victims was like, you know, I would have never came out. I thought I would die, you know, with being the sole victim. But when I found out these other victims came out, I had to come out, you know, and they had no idea. They thought they were the only person that this had happened to. And they blame some of these non-disclosure agreements that allowed these settlement agreements or these acts to occur. But as you know, Matt, I mean, confidentiality agreements or clauses are part and parcel to any settlement agreement. Yeah. And, you know, it's unfortunate that that's been the case. That's, well, now a lot of them are coming into the light, but some of these uh, people have been able to get away with this and paying people off and doing it through these confidentiality aspects of it and getting away with it. And so I think that's exactly why you're, what you're talking about with why some of these states are trying to implement, basically get, get away from these and not allow them. And that hopefully open things up for the long term of preventing these payoffs. Now, would it still happen? I mean, probably, but it's, you know, might at least stop it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's a, there's some valid points when it comes to this kind of legislation in the sense that if someone is a sexual harasser, now, whether it's assault, which is a crime, and versus a harasser, which in the civil sense may not be criminal liability in either case, right? Would you not want to know about that? I mean, the idea that you might be susceptible to being exposed to that that type of behavior, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's otherwise in, in the community, et cetera, right? There's definitely an argument to that. But the problem, the only, I think the argument against, or I should say the nuances of it, is how do you also protect those that are innocent? And and so I actually think that there's an argument f- even for this legislation for them because the, and I'm, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, when innocent, so-called innocent people settle, right? They're settling because and they're like, I don't even want this allegation to come out. I'd rather just give them money. I know it's unfair. They made these false allegations against me, but I'm going to pay it off anyway just and and just to make it go away. And sometimes that client will say, you know what, I want to fight it, you know, because I want to prove my innocence, but it's going to be costly and people are still going to believe that I did it regardless, especially now in this environment. So I don't want to do that. But with this law, if they get rid of these confidentiality clauses, then these people that have been falsely alleged, and I'm not going to speak to how many, because I think a lot of these allegations end up being true, but there's going to be some that aren't. And under those circumstances, because of the confidentiality not being an option, they may go out and fight it. And they actually may go out to prove their innocence. But if they don't have the pocketbook, and that's really where the problem is, if they don't have the pocketbook to defend and they're innocent, then they may just pay it off anyway, get a settlement that won't be confidential. And people are going to think, well, he agreed to the settlement, so he must have been guilty. And that's kind of a, that, that's a hard thing to swallow for someone that's been falsely accused. Yeah, and a difficult part, too, is particularly when we're dealing with any sort of uh, sexually charged claims, obviously, the more severe, the worse it is But with this as well. But it's victims that don't want to relive. You know, if you have to go through this settling and getting out early, you don't have to relive the whole 
especially if it's traumatic, even worse, like I said. But you don't have to relive this whole situation that happened. And I don't know. I don't think there's really any right way to, to kind of classify this, but it's, you know, it's it's interesting to say the least. I think it's uh, definitely a, a difficult situation um, for everybody involved, but mostly the victims, of course. Yeah, exactly. So, but okay, so so just quick takeaways. I think this is a good time to just take a reset. I'm not going to be necessarily saying that there needs to be new laws because the problem is is that we have the laws, but when you have women that are afraid to, women and men are afraid to report it, that's an issue. And that, that comes down to company culture and things of that nature. That's not something laws can fix. And so we as a community and, and in our, within our, our reaches of, of our law firm and all the other advocates out there, there's a lot of ways to just reset and, and really focus on this issue in a way that really protects victims and creates a culture that is positive and, and again, not, not something that doesn't mean that the, you can't have any fun. Uh, but uh, an environment that is safe, uh, safe for everybody. Yeah. And going back, I think that's great advice. And going back to what I said at the beginning, the reason that people find, well, I think the reason most people can get some, see the humor in a show like The Office when there's things like this is it's just so obviously wrong that, you know, it's, that's the aspect of it that makes it funny. So, you know, I, I think we've laid out a good kind of, a uh, roadmap to how to approach this and obviously how I don't we didn't need to tell you to take it seriously. I think that's been very evident over the last couple months of all the big names that have kind of fallen off and you know could disappear forever. I mean some especially if some of these people some of these individuals it's career ending. And so yep. we don't need to tell you to take it seriously. I th- I think it speaks for itself, but and just you know follow the like I said, it starts with education. It starts from the top down. And if you look at that, if you approach it from that, you're you're off to a good start. <laughs> One last thing, and I don't want to ruin the kind of the positive ending, but for those that are listening that are not kind of, are just want to take a look at this from a very dollars and cents perspective, I'll tell you this. One thing that's, I think, clear to me is that from a risk management perspective, this is going to be the issue for the end of this year and next year for small, medium-sized businesses in the sense that it has started with uh, these high-profile cases, but there's very little doubt that the number of complaints that are going to be sent into the Equal Employment EEOC uh, this this end of this year and and next year is going to skyrocket. I have no doubt about that. The number of sexual harassment cases filed are going to skyrocket. And so from a dollar and cents perspective for business owners that that need that kind of encouragement is that this is something that you're going to have to deal with and uh, deal with it quick. Yeah, no, there's no, I, if I had to, if I had to bet on it, I would definitely bet on that. I mean, you just, I don't know when, whenever this episode comes out, but it's like every week you hear, we get more and more names of people and just keeps this like, it's never going to stop. So we'll, and we're recording this the the week of uh, Thanksgiving week, and I'm, I think every weekday for the past six days or so, there's been at least one new high profile case, right? And it's it's just absolutely, and sometimes two people that I've you know, people I don't necessarily know, but everyone from politics to Hollywood to musicians to to whoever. Yeah, it was even at, not to go too long on this, but it was a. Uh... Like this past weekend, I, the Union Tribune, which is the local San Diego paper, just had 
front page photo and it just had the head basically like a headshot of all the different i think it was all actually all males i think but anyways there was a ton of it was just the whole front page basically of people i was like i don't even know some of these people were even accused of stuff like it's just but yeah can't because keep track the news of it. can't cover everybody yeah yeah. But you, you also heard we, we, we covered Bob Filner's accusations oh, yeah. in the workplace. We actually had a podcast for it, and he had recent accusations for when he was a, back in, was in, when he was a congressman, right? Yeah. So bringing it back home to San Diego. Well, yeah, or, somebody – that, that was just new recent – yeah, like that was brand new allegations that just came out back, yeah, back predating the, his days and his brief stint as mayor. So, By the way, people yeah. keep talking about how this has started with Weinstein. Do people say that? Because, I mean, if you think about it, I, I really think this started with Cosby because it went from Cosby to uh, Roger Ailes and Fox News and then Bill O'Reilly and then Weinstein. Was Bill O'Reilly or Weinstein first? I think Bill O'Reilly was first, right? Yeah. He left, he uh, left Fox News. I'm, I'm not, I can't even keep track, like I said. So yeah. Fox News cleaned house. And then also, if you recall, um, this may be tangentially related Uber um, also had all these allegations of a sexual harassment. And then, I mean, and of course, Trump last year. And so it, it's it's just amazing how like this month of this last month of uh, November, or I should say the later half of November or mid-November has been really kind of the, 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 the height of it. And I, I assume it's the height. I don't think it's going to get, uh, <laughs> it'd be, maybe it is, but I think we're at the height of it. But this has been something coming for the past couple of years, so. Yeah, it would basically take some, I'm not going to name anyone for obvious reasons, but it would take like some very well-known actor who, you know, had a squeaky clean career and was loved by, I mean, you can think of some people that would fit this role, but it would basically take somebody like that with news to come out against them. That was really damning for it to be a, I mean, I mean, I mean the, one of the premier actors of our time, Kevin Spacey, so, uh. I'm trying to think of, you know, I guess if you find a bigger actor than that. Well, there's, um, I'm, I'm saying there's other actors who have like a, basically a hundred percent approval rating from everyone. Oh, yeah. So it'd be somebody like that for that, for news to break on them, um, you know, for it to kind of, to get worse, I suppose. Well, on that note. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Well, that was a, that was a hard episode actually, but I think we got something done. That's good check that off i think we got a topical episode off and uh, yeah hopefully it helped but uh, thanks for joining us right, yep keep us sound keep us smart this has been the legally sound smart business show with your hosts nasser pasha and matt stop the legally sound smart business show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world legally sound smart business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current complete or up to date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.